We are recording this podcast on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We wish to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respects to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening. Hi everybody, my name is Priscilla. And my name is Elise. Welcome to Novel Feelings, where we discuss representations of mental health issues in fiction novels. And just a note, as always, we are trained psychologists, but this podcast should not be taken as therapeutic advice. We also acknowledge that today we're speaking as psychologists and book lovers and not necessarily as people with lived experience of the mental health issues that we'll be covering today. And we think it's incredibly important to acknowledge that our voices are limited this way. But stay tuned at the end of this episode for some more information about these issues, including writing from people with lived experience. And as always, you'll find more information on our website. Today we are reviewing The Surprising Power of a Good Dumpling by Wei Chim. Anna Chu has her hands pretty full looking after her brother and sister and helping out at her dad's restaurant, all while her mom stays in bed. Dad's new delivery boy, Rory is a welcome distraction, and even though she knows that things aren't right at home, she's starting to feel like she could just be a normal teen. But when mom finally gets out of bed, things go from bad to worse. And as mom's condition worsens, Anna and her family question everything they understand about themselves and each other. Just to tell you a little bit more about the author, so Wei Chim Describes herself as a first-generation Chinese-American. She's originally from New York City, based on her biography that we could find online. So she grew up speaking Cantonese at home and absorbing Western culture through books, TV, and school. She spent some time living in Japan before making Sydney, Australia her permanent home. She does have a couple of previous books, which you can find, of course, on her website, which is www.weichim.com. In addition to writing, Wei works as a digital producer and developer for the Starlight Children's Foundation. Now, this book was originally suggested by Priscilla. I came across this book via Twitter. (laughs) It was getting recommended a lot by people in the book blogging community. And I thought it was a really interesting concept. You don't see a lot of, well, I haven't seen a lot of Asian Australian young adult books anyway. And being Asian and living in Australia, I am drawn to that sort of stories. And also it talks about mental health in a nation family in that intersection with the immigrant experience as well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got to say before you suggested it, I had only heard about it in passing and I'm not as involved in the book blogging community as you are. So I probably don't get all the like hot tips as they come out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'd sort of seen this, I think on bookshelves and I thought, yep, that there certainly is a lot of power in a good dumpling. Uh, so I agreed with the title in that sense. I'm really glad that I did end up reading it. Um, I think it was a really good choice for us to do. Probably not as well known as some of the other books that we're covering in our first season of this podcast, though. No, which is a crime, (laughs) in my opinion, anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I think more people should probably know about this book because I think it's a bit of a spoiler warning, but I think this is going to be a pretty positive review, which is nice. Which is nice. I don't want every review to be, you know, super critical and super negative. No, we do love books in general and we will talk about books that we will enjoy we enjoyed 
Just before we get started, um, this is, of course, a spoiler review. So we will be talking about things that happen throughout the book. If you are not so keen on spoilers, maybe this isn't the right podcast for you. But just a bit of a trigger warning before we get started. So this book does cover quite a few sensitive topics and I will give a content warning in particular for discussions around suicide, around racism, animal cruelty and mental health stigma and some stigmatizing language. And just to give you an overview of the mental health issues covered in the book, um, Anna's mum, she's not given an actual diagnosis in the book, but what she experiences seems to be psychosis, severe depression, paranoia and delusion. But I think we'll get to that a little bit further on about some of the um, the challenges of what her symptoms are and how they might be classified. Mm-hmm. And for Anna and the rest of her family, they experience care, stress or burden, anxiety and self-doubt. And there's a lot of discussions around cultural understanding and expectations of mental health. So Rory, which is the love interest, has an experience of depression, suicide attempt and hospital stay. And he is participating in community-based therapy on an ongoing basis. There's certainly a lot that's covered in one sort of reasonably short young adult book. I don't think we'll be able to discuss everything in detail, but we'll definitely have a few discussion points as we go through. The book opens with Anna making observations about whether Ma is going to get out of bed or not, whether or not it's going to be a good day, depending on her mental health that day. Mm. And this is certainly quite a common thing that happens early in the book as well with you know not knowing if it's going to be a good day, a bad day, if mum's going to get up or not and what it might mean if her mum does get up. So obviously we're setting the scene already about what day-to-day life is like within their household. Yeah, and you can see very much that there's no parental figure in their day-to-day life or dad is quite absent because he's working all day, every day at their restu- at their Chinese restaurant, mm. which means that a lot of the responsibilities of taking care of the children in the family fall to Anna, who's the oldest. Mm. And Anna's only 16, I think, at yeah. the start of the book anyway. And she has two younger siblings as well. Um, so Lily, who I think is in year seven or so, about 13, mm-hmm. and then their little brother as well, who's five or six. Yeah, Michael. And you can tell as well that when when Ma, their mother, has been more well and she's been able to get out of bed that she does take over more of these responsibilities. But Anna, it sounds like at the start of the book that she's been fitting into this almost parental role for her family for at least a couple of weeks, I think, if not months at that stage. Yeah. And this is in addition to obviously still going to school. Yeah. And she's got quite a lot on her plate at school too, because she's in year 10, I think. Year 11. Yeah. Year 11. So, you know, starting VCE and having a lot of pressure on her to perform well from the school. And, mm. you know, we meet this guidance counsellor quite early on who... Yeah. So, she, oh. <laughs> so what happens is Anna has her pathways advisement session, and so that's where we meet the guidance counselor, Miss Kennedy. 
who is hmm what do we think of miss kennedy <laughs> not great i <laughs> just she's very frustrating to me <laughs> it's mm. there's a lot of uh how do i put it that she doesn't seem to pay attention to the context at all like there's no when they're talking there's no question around you know how are things at home what's what's going on for you outside of school yeah so she seems to be seeing Anna almost fully in terms of her academic achievements and unfortunately Anna's not doing fantastic at school at at the time so I don't think she's failing or anything but she isn't you know she's not an A plus student and completely understandable because Anna has so many responsibilities at home and is incredibly stressed by all of those situations that she's coping with. Mm -hmm. But her guidance counsellor is almost seeing this as being a, a personal fault of Anna's. Like she's not pushing herself hard enough. She's not, she's not dedicated enough. She's not putting enough effort mm -hmm. in, but completely fails to actually see that maybe there's something else going on. And that is such a frustration for me when I see any kind of counselling relationship when one person is pressuring the other person and failing to see that person in terms of their life and their yeah. content. Miss Kennedy doesn't see that at all. She even says, it's time for you to be extraordinary. Oh. <laughs> and it does seem like Anna hasn't had positive experiences with schools. Um, the book goes into her history where Ma used to give them physical punishment. I suppose mm. is the best way to put it. So, mm. so when they were younger, Ma used to hit them with a feather duster when they're bad or they're not doing as well at school. Uh, when I say bad, as in they're not following the rules. Lily had bruises and her teacher saw what happened. Mm. So both both Lily and Anna got called into the guidance counselor's office and Anna actually took the blame. So she said that she had hit Lily, but Lily mm. already told the teacher what happened. This led to their mom being called into the school when their ma mom couldn't speak English. So then we have this horrible, well, it feels horrible to me anyway, because it's this scene where Anna sits in the meeting between Ma and the principal and the guidance counselor. And the principal is being really hard on Ma, which I understand where the school is coming from, that they don't take physical punishment of the children lightly. The problem is they're having this conversation through Anna, who's having to translate what's going on for both sides. Yeah, and I know that's a, a common experience in families where parents don't um, don't speak a lot of English or are not very competent English speakers. Mm. I just I found it so quite confronting in this situation because they're talking about a very sensitive topic mm. and relying on Anna, who is. Young, quite young at the time. She's in year six. <laughs> yeah, so she would be what, 11 or 12 yeah. trying to communicate with these authority figures about the sort of aggressive behaviour in her family. Mm -hmm. And even in this situation, though, Anna is savvy enough to not 
tell the whole truth, yeah. knowing what that could mean for her family and protecting her mother in this situation. Because mm-hmm. I can imagine what would be running through her head, you know, worry about the kids perhaps being taken away from their mother, um, worry about what that could mean perhaps for the family's reputation if something like that were to happen. Yeah. Uh, I just, why didn't they get a translator in? Surely there's somewhere that can provide an, a translator and you don't put that burden on a 12-year-old to explain to her mother people do things differently in Australia. Yeah. But even, you know, the number of times the principal said, this is Australia, people do dif- things differently here, it comes across very condescending in a way. Yeah, it really does. It feels to me anyway that that sets the foundation for Anna not telling other people what's going on at home. Yeah, and you know we, we do learn later in the book as well through discussions that there is a little bit of mental health discussion that does happen in the school though. I mean, for example, mm-hmm. there's a chapter where they mention um, like Headspace have been to the school and for those who might be listening who aren't in Australia, Headspace is quite a well-known youth mental health service and they also talk about um, some celebrities who have disclosed that they have mental health issues as well so the school itself it's not like there's no discussion of mental health happening in the school but there's still a lot of barriers in place for Anna to actually talk to people and to get that support. Yeah and I think there's that intersection as well between mental health and culture in this story where the school is obviously doing a lot of good things around mental health, but I am curious about the cultural sensitivity in that as well. Mm. So Anna had a bad grade in English class. I'm trying to remember what happened. So she got a C, I think, for an essay about Macbeth. And then school holidays coming up. And Anna is interested in helping out with the restaurant yeah so Anna um convinces her father I'd say to let her start working in the restaurant and you know unfortunately the restaurant is not doing that well that's that's sort of the impression that Anna has is that the restaurant is struggling a little bit and that's one of the reasons why Baba needs to be at the restaurant so much and pushing pushing himself so much so they start talking about different ideas for how to increase the revenue and the idea comes out to finally allow delivery and that is how we meet Rory who comes in for an interview to be the new delivery person. Yeah and Rory's quite charming. Mm. So he's about 20, 19 or 20 I think. Barbara is a bit sceptical again but eventually ends up giving him a job and that's how Anna and Rory start to get to know each other. They also got to know each other because Anna was doing her essay at the restaurant while Rory was there. And it turns out Rory is a Shakespeare fan. Yeah, he is. He's uh, very enthusiastic about Shakespeare and he ends up helping out Anna with this essay. And again, that's how they, they sort of start to form this bond together. And pretty quickly, I'd say we learn that Anna has developed a bit of a crush on Rory, which is understandable Mm because he seems like a pretty nice guy and Rory starts to talk to her about his mental health a little bit as well. Rory's experienced depression um, to the point that he 
had attempted suicide. Yeah, so just a little bit of background as to what led up to his attempt. So he was, I think, in year 12 at the time. So it was a couple of years ago now, but he was experiencing a huge amount of pressure at school. I think there was a a relationship breakdown at some point and just quite a few things sort of built up for Rory and it got to the point where he sadly decided that he wanted to take his own life Mm -hmm. and obviously that didn't proceed but Rory ended up spending some time in hospital as a result, um, Mm -hmm. like an inpatient stay and then since then we learned that he's been getting support for himself in the community so he's been seeing a psychologist for a number of years and yeah it's gotten to the point where life is a lot better for Rory but he still has to work quite hard to sort of maintain his mental health and obviously that's something that has become quite important to him. Yeah and he does talk about how you don't just get over it you don't snap Mm. out of depression And that was something I really liked about how he talks about depression is that it's not that he, you know, some, he decided that he wants to get better or that he found a girlfriend or that he started going to therapy and suddenly everything was okay. He talks about it as being a real process and something he has to work hard at and has taken a lot of time and a lot of effort. Yeah. There's this saying that recovery is not a linear process. So you move forward and then there will be days where you take a few steps back. Um, Mm -hmm. I actually found what Rory said in the book. So he said, some days I'm okay and some days I'm less okay. I know my triggers. I have my strategies on how to cope when things get too bad. It's just kind of getting used to that being the normal. Interestingly, it it took Anna, despite learning a lot about Rory and his mental health and he's quite open about this, it still took Anna quite a long time to open up to him about what she's going through and what her mother is experiencing. Well, this is my reading of it anyway. It probably has a lot to do with those cultural expectations around what a family looks like and that you should keep family problems within the family. And when we get about midway through the book, things are starting to look a bit more up as well. So her mother starts getting out of bed again yeah and her mood is it seems like her mood is starting to improve and she starts taking back some of the responsibilities for looking after Michael for example Mm -hmm. and Anna is you know she's enjoying working at the restaurant she's got this new relationship with Rory that seems to be going quite well and you also see there's that little bit of tension I think in the in the days where Ma was out of bed Mm-hmm. where she has too much energy and she's doing a lot. And and I get the sense reading that, you know, you're sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah. And for those who might be a bit more familiar with, with mental health, um, you know, specific symptoms, that did flag me as perhaps being mania or hypermania, which is best known for happening in bipolar disorder. So, it's this period of kind of um, energy is much higher, your mood feels a lot better, often people are engaging in, you know, really motivated, goal-directed activities, so suddenly feeling like you need to paint the house or go and run a marathon, like all these sort of ideas happen and 
um, often not very realistic ideas yeah. in a short period of time. So Anna makes those observations around mice cleaning, cleaning again, not sleeping much, and then we see that mood change. So mm-hmm. Ma storms into Anna and Lily's room in the middle of the night, you know, making them both get up and sort of ranting about how, you know, they're ungrateful children for sleeping while she's working. Mm. Not helping Ma to clean, not help, not getting up and being lazy, all that kind of really harsh, harsh things that she's saying but probably doesn't realise exactly what she's doing. Yeah, and she starts, I think, it's actually quite a heartbreaking scene to read because he she gets angrier and, and angrier no matter what they say and she starts hitting them. Mm. Yeah. She's obviously extremely dis- distressed during this time Yeah, and unfortunately taking that out on her daughters. Yeah. And, of course, you know, not all people who experience these types of symptoms do get violent or aggressive while that's happening, but in this case it is happening and that's really part of what makes this very scary for Lily and Anna. And you see Anna in that scene trying to protect Lily and then trying to placate her mother and then trying to soothe her mother as well. Yeah, and and Anna doesn't necessarily know the best way to do that either because she hasn't received any kind of support or training for how to, you know, de-escalate the situation. And this is a bit of a theme throughout the book as well is Anna – Anna's frustration coming out in ways that aren't necessarily helpful. But, you know, this is completely without blame, of course. Um, But, you know, she'll sometimes say things to her mum that will distress her mum further. And Anna's certainly not trying to do that, but that's just what ends up happening, unfortunately. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Her father's generally not at home while this is happening as well. You get the sense that he doesn't know what to do either and he's avoiding the situation by throwing himself into work. Yep. That's kind of his coping strategy with the situation. Yeah. The consequence of that is that his young daughters end up being the ones who have to sort of support Ma when she's going through a really tough situation. So this tension starts kind of, it continues building up through the middle of the book. From from memory, Anna receives a phone call, doesn't she, from Lily to say that mum and Michael are missing. Yeah, uh, it's it's a text. So Lily tries to call and then she texts and said, Mai's gone and I think she took Michael. Yeah. Anna was with Rory at the time. And she starts to panic. Quite understandably. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then Anna and Rory goes to the restaurant. From memory, Anna wanted to sort of deal with the situation herself and it was Rory who said, no, you need to tell your dad. You need to get your dad involved in this. 
Yeah, and in that sense, it really comes out that how much responsibility Anna has taken on because she talks about how I shouldn't have said anything. You have your own shit to deal with. It's no big deal. I'm fine. And she says, you know, I can't bother Baba because he's worried about his business. This is too much. And that's where Rory says, you know, this is his family too. So it should be his business as well. I do appreciate that he did that because it did mean that they ended up going to the restaurant and and finding Michael and Ma. First of all, they find Michael outside the restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. So Michael explained that, you know, we took they took the train and he thinks something is wrong with their mom. Mm. And they walked in and the restaurant is full for a Monday evening, but no one is eating. Everyone is staring. Yeah. Oh, the scene is so heartbreaking. <laughs> so basically what happens is Ma is fixating at the aquarium I can't say this word aquarium aquarium thank you um and she's saying things like you know the fish are bad um you know they're spies all of them and then she's accusing one of the uh, female staff to be seducing Baba away from the family she's in the grips of paranoia in that stage because she's saying you know Anna are you with them them being the spy, the spies probably. And that's quite a common delusion that happens for people who might be experiencing mm-hmm. psychosis is this idea of um, surveillance or somebody watching you. Yeah. you, Rory, so everyone is sort of panicking and trying to plead with Ma to go home and trying to reassure her that no one is trying to hurt her. And Rory actually steps in to that scene to try and de-escalate the situation. He's just keeping her attention and calming her down. Yeah, and uh, I'll make sure to link in our um, website or episode summary, there's some good guidelines for support um, for de-escalating during psychosis through mental health first aid. Mm-hmm. So they recommend that directly contradicting what's happening is not helpful. Um, yeah. So saying things like, you know, there's nothing there. It's all in your head. It's made up. Yeah, that's right. Well, Rory was almost successful. Mm -hmm. And then Michael, understandably, is really distraught. And she, and he pulled away from his mom, you know, saying, I want to go home. I want to go home. And he refuses to go to mom. So she then takes this as proof that this force that he's she's afraid of has changed Michael's mind about her and then she plunges her arm inside the tank oh. uh, I can't I can't say this part but basically she does she does something horrible to the fish to a fish yeah and you know unfortunately she does kill a fish in this situation in front of a crowded restaurant full of people and all of this culminates in um, Ma being taken to hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, so somebody's clearly called emergency services while this has happened and yeah. Margaret's taken away in an ambulance. And, of course, all of this is confusing and scary for Anna and her family. <laughs> you know, to skip ahead a little bit, Ma ends up spending some time in an inpatient psychiatric ward. So she is under um, kind of close supervision of a psychiatrist and 
she's given medications and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And of the side of this that we get to see is, of course, Anna's side as she's the protagonist. So mm. most of the window that we get into this situation is from her perspective of sort of visiting Ma and bringing clothes, that kind of thing. So in the meantime, we've had her father saying, you know, really sort of defeatist stuff about her mother's mental health. You know, he has a line that's something like, there's no cure for crazy, which is a truly awful thing to say. And, you know, the word, the term crazy is quite a loaded and stigmatizing term as well. But this sort of speaks to the family's sort of lack of understanding that things can get better if you're experiencing mental health issues. We learned that there was a, a family cousin called Rong Rong who'd experienced mental illness and there was a lot of shame and stigma around that as well and that's perhaps given Baba a bit of misunderstanding. But this whole hospital stay though is unfortunately rep- a representation of what a lot of people go through when they spend time in hospital. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we learned that Rory struggles to even kind of pull up to the hospital to drop off Anna because it is quite a triggering place for him, even though it was a necessary step in his recovery. Yeah, you know, he had a very unpleasant time staying in hospital. And, you know, I wish it was different because we we need to sort of encourage people to get support during crises. But yeah. sadly, there are a lot of gaps in the system and a lot of things that can go wrong when people have these inpatient stays. Yeah. Rory's direct quote, hospitals are shit, but they do their job. Anna goes there and her ma is very heavily medicated to the point where she's not herself and is barely even able to interact with Anna, um, which is really scary for her. And she barely gets a warning about that. She's essentially told something along the lines of, oh, you know, she might not seem like herself, but there's very little communication there. Yeah. There's very, when, uh, to, to backtrack a bit, when, the admission happens when Ma first goes into hospital and the doctor speaks to the family. There's nothing really about taking any kind of history. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Barbara kind of says something really quickly about, oh, no, it's the first time it's happened, the first time it's happened. But they don't even, the doctor doesn't even ask about like, well, can you tell me about what her life is like? What's, you know, Mm. what are her interests? What's going on? Is she on any medications currently yeah. like it, it, it's so brief yeah and again I wonder how much understaffing and pressures on the system play into that as well and the family are told something along the lines of oh well we, we're still trying to figure out what her diagnosis is all we know is that she's had an episode of psychosis but there's no real information given to the family about what that means I'm looking at that scene now and Anna's like, psychosis, what do you mean? And the doctor says, you know, very nicely, your mother is experiencing delusions, a psychotic episode. And But that's a circular <laughs> answer. <laughs> what does psychosis mean? mean? It's a psychotic episode. And like, okay. <laughs> yeah, so they don't seem to really be given any information about A, what's happening for Ma, B, what medications they're going to trial and why. Mm-hmm and see how to support Ma once she's released from hospital. Just briefly, um, we do learn that Lily has been sort of doing her own research and 
uh, sort of work behind the scenes as well. So she's been putting together a timeline of Ma's mental health. Lily suggests, for example, uh, it might be severe anxiety. I think she mentions bipolar disorder at one point. Again, throughout this book, we don't ever learn kind of a final diagnosis for, for what Ma's experiencing. And there are pros and cons to that. So, mm-hmm. you know, in my point of view, I think on one side, I think it could have been helpful to the reader to sort of learn what is this cluster of symptoms that Mara is experiencing and does it have a name. On the other side, it is quite common for people who are experiencing a mental health crisis to either have, you know, meet sort of partially meet diagnostic criteria mm-hmm. or to have a period of time where the, the diagnosis is unsure or unclear. Yeah. Diagnosis is not always that helpful anyway. <laughs> There's a lot of criticism <laughs> about diagnostic criteria and labeling people and that kind of thing. At the end of the day, though, the closest we get is the term psychosis, which I do think fits with Ma's experience. I think what's interesting is what happens after Ma was released from hospital. We see that things were good for a bit. Yeah. So Ma started getting some support. She started seeing, I think, a, a Cantonese-speaking therapist, yeah. taking some kind of medication as well. Baba has opened a new restaurant to be in order to be closer to the family, I believe. And then we see that Ma is better. But then six months later, Ma wakes Anna up in the middle of the night and says, there's a man outside coming for us. So that delusion and paranoia has come back. And we also learn that throughout that period that Ma hadn't necessarily been taking her medication consistently either and often her daughters were, I think, reminding her to take it. That might have been one of the reasons why she's had another episode. Ma Ma is taken into the hospital again and you get this sad line from Michael where he says, you know, how come Ma is broken again? You know, Anna says, I want the hospital to fix her and Rory sort of looks at her at one stage and says, so do you think I need to be fixed? And I think that's an interesting conversation to address because yeah. people with mental health issues aren't, aren't broken. So to say, I don't think fix is the right word for it. I, I personally really like how this book ends. It is quite bittersweet, but it comes back to that idea again of process and recovery. Recovery isn't a linear thing Mm -hmm. and particularly with psychosis it is really common for people to have episodes of psychosis with periods of wellness in between part of the challenge with living with psychosis or supporting somebody is learning about how to manage those times and you know how what supports to access during that time you know that's something that it takes a while to figure out Again, it's, it comes back to that idea that's sort of been in this novel of, you know, things don't get better just because you get help once. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, Ma had a mental health crisis and she spent time in hospital and things changed, but that doesn't mean that everything's going to be back to normal after this. Um, yeah. But that doesn't mean things are going to be bad. Yeah. It's just something that they have to learn to live with and adjust to. Yeah, but that doesn't mean there's no hope either, as you say. And that's sort of where we where we finish up the book. It does finish with that tone of hope, which I love. If we had to give it a star rating, what would you give it? Oh, um, I'm, I'm going to give it four stars. Mm-hmm. 
I, overall, I really liked it and I'll certainly be recommending it as a read. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, some of my favourite moments in the book, I really liked how the book ended and th- that tone of hope that it ends with, the idea of the family kind of banding together and learning from each other and supporting each other and the responsibility is taken off Anna's shoulders a bit and how the book talks about food, as we mentioned before, I think is so lovely and just it's the type of book you'll read and you'll get hungry and you'll want to go and order some dumplings afterwards. So the only reason why I haven't given it five stars I think is that there's a couple of points in the book where I feel it does get a little bit preachy in how it talks about mental health. There are a few lines in there that I feel like are maybe not that natural that come particularly some of the lines from Rory where he talks about mental health. It kind of feels like he becomes a motivational poster at times. <laughs> it's all, it's very minor. Um, yeah. And, you know, just a few things about the school and that sort of thing, like how the, the few scenes where they talk about mental health in school. So I think it, it's good messaging. It's just sometimes I don't think the dialogue is as natural as it could be, but overall I've really enjoyed it and I would certainly recommend it. I would give it five stars. I really love this book and I do, I think I mentioned at the top of this episode that I am Asian. I wasn't born in Australia, but I have lived here for the past 10 years. And I feel strongly that stories from minority groups should be heard more. And I think one of the things that I love about it is that exploration of the intersection between mental health and culture and the immigrant experience. I really love the parts following Ma's admission to hospital. And I agree with what you said, Elise. It's unfortunate that it is that way, but I like that it does end on a hopeful note. Um, And we didn't mention this before, but Anna speaks Cantonese when she's with her family Mm -hmm. and also with the staff of the restaurant sometimes. And I really like how they just slip in and out of Cantonese and English because that's really common in bilingual families and I like that it's shown in a way that normalizes that. That does wrap up our review for today. If you are interested in learning more about some of the topics that we've discussed today, please check out our website. We'll write a blog post for this episode like we do other episodes. On our website, we'll be providing some suggestions for resources around culture and mental health. So for example, we'll be linking to Beyond Blue, who have a number of translated mental health resources, including resources that are in Chinese, both simplified and traditional. We will also be linking to Embrace Multicultural Mental Health. Some other resources we'll include will be from SANE Australia, who have a lot of information around psychosis and related disorders. And we will also link to the Mental Health First Aid Guidelines who provide suggestions for how to support somebody who might be experiencing psychosis. We will also be linking to some other reviews that we found interesting on the book, including from Jean at Happy Indulgence Books and Jillian at Jilly Reads. If you love reading like we do and you're looking for for other Australian young adult books about the Asian Australian experience, Lorinda by Alice Pung is one that I would recommend. Alice Pung's writing is just amazing. Mm. Mm. I love Lorinda. It's such a good book. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have just Googled and there's actually hashtag read Asian Oz, which is part of the hashtag love Oz YA movement. 
and other Asian Australian books include The Family Law by Benjamin Law. It's really good. I would recommend it. It's a very funny book as well. If you want to learn more about this book or access relevant resources, check out our website, sonovelfeelings.com, where we will, of course, be posting an episode summary and links to further reading for the episode. We also have a mental health resources page where you can learn more about getting support for yourself or somebody that you care about or to learn about mental health in general. If you like us, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to ask us a question or just to chat, you can send us a message via our website. To keep up to date with us, remember to follow our podcast on social media. You can find us on Twitter at novel underscore feelings and on Goodreads via goodreads.com slash novel underscore feelings. You can also find one of our hosts online. So Priscilla, where can we find you? You can find me at Instagram and my handle there is at paved with books with two S's. Um, Paved with books. (laughs) Yes, that's right. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody. And check out our next episode. Thanks, everybody. Bye. See you next time. See you next time.